Good to see you guys. We're glad that you joined, uh, chose to join us. For those of you who are watching us online, we're glad that you've joined, chose to join us as well. Hey, uh, my name is Doug Rains, and I work with Global Outreach here uh, in Mosaic. And I want to hit real quick. I want to just remind you of something going on. We have a missions conference called NWA for the Nations uh, that's happening in November. Information on the screen. If you want to find out more about that, you can just go to that website. All right. You guys recognize these guys? All right. How about any of the kids? You kids recognize these guys? You should because you used to pray for them. When we had children's ministry, you prayed for them all the time. This is the Coles. These are my good friends, uh, Brandon and Bethany and their kids, and we are just glad to welcome them here. Um, one of the first things that I, I want to mention is that uh, the re one of the reasons we have them on tonight is because this may be the last time you see them for a little while. They're waiting, uh, eagerly trying. You guys come down this way a little bit. Yeah, there we go. All right. 
There we go. That's better. Um, they have been trying to get back to where they work in Africa, and they're hoping in the next few weeks to be able to go. So it's maybe the last time we see them uh, for a little while, and the next time we see them, excitingly, there's going to be more of them. Uh, they are in the process of working on adoption, um, and uh, if you want to so many people in Mosaic have that heart and have that vision, and so it's just really cool to be able to celebrate that with them. And uh, so they're working on that, and as soon as they get some things in place for that here in the uh, U.S., then they'll be able to go back, okay? So we're glad that you guys are here um, and, and just celebrating with you guys. One of the reasons I wanted them to share um, tonight is um, as we've been going through Thessalonians, one of the things that we talked about is how that they were a church that, undergo, that underwent persecution, and tonight we're going to be talking about how that uh, as believers, it's important that we love one another. And where the coals work and live, there's not very many believers, which is why they're there. Um, and when one becomes a believer, often the persecution follows. And so I wanted them to share a little bit about what it's like to minister and, and love in a place where uh, it's hard to be a follower of Jesus and, and they might face persecution. So Brandon, tell us about it. Um, first off, thank you guys um, just for the love and support. We really feel overwhelmed by the love and support we, we receive from Mosaic, especially the last few months here. I mean, it's truly been a sweet time for us, and our hearts long to be back in Mali, to be with our teammates, but, but you guys have really made this sweet. And I was thinking about loving others well as Doug was talking about this, and immediately my mind goes to the way that, love, that Jesus loved in the Gospels. The way he loved, the way he served, and to be honest, it's kind of hard, is it not? It's difficult. But I, my mind immediately went to, if we want Jesus-sized results, we should probably do Jesus' methods, right? So our team, what we do is we pray, and we fast, and we pray, and we fast, and then we try to love each other and love others well in Mali. And what we found is it's the little things, the little acts of love that usually make the biggest difference. And honestly, those little acts of love is really what shows us where the Spirit is at work the most. And I wanna tell you guys about a quick story about a young man that's been a big part of our life and our family. Um, this is a, a Muslim man that, um, he's really lived life with us for, many, for a couple years now. Um, and we've tried to love him and show him this kind of love we're talking about. Uh, he's ate so many family dinners with us. He's, he, we, we gave him his first birthday party ever. It was really cool. If you guys follow Bethany on social media, I'm sure you've seen this. Um, James and Rachel Toomer, a part of this body, helped us to get this kid an ACL surgery. He lived with us for a few months after the surgery. Just life, intentional life. And as this continued, he started to question a little bit, why are they loving unconditionally? And that started us on a journey to where we started a discovery Bible study with this young man and his, a few of his brothers. And after many weeks, you could see that something was happening, that he was starting to believe that Jesus was the truth. But honestly, he was struggling. He was struggling bad. Because for him to start following Jesus, Doug talked about persecution. It's real. He may lose his family. It's gonna be harder for him to get a good job one day. He's gonna face heavy persecution. He might even face death. So he was struggling, he comes to me, starts asking all these questions, and, and honestly, I wouldn't answer any of these questions. And he would get frustrated, 
But instead of answering his questions, we went back and did more Discovery Bible studies. And one evening, um, he was supposed to be reading the beginning of Matthew, and he read the whole book of Matthew. And the next day, I woke up to this text that said, Brandon, I love and respect you as my dad, so start to now. I want you to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. No matter what's going to happen in my life, I love Jesus with all my heart now, and nothing can change it. Praise God. Isn't that incredible? So what we saw is that the Word of God radically changed his life, and he was able to see the love of other believers in this process. Now, reality sunk in fast. His family completely rejected this decision. They yelled at him. They berated him. They told him, this is not possible. You are from a Muslim family. You cannot do this. His mom went all the way to say that you are no longer a part of this family. And guys, he was crushed. He was brokenhearted. But we had done a discovery Bible study on persecution a few weeks before. We cried together, we prayed together, we processed together, and all we knew how to do is continue to love this kid. As we did all that, he told me one night, he goes, Brandon, we were prepared for this. I'm really in peace and joy. And because of the love that he discovered through the word, because of experiencing love of our family, the love of the McMahon family, the way we all loved each other, he chose to show his family grace and unconditional love. He kept loving them. He kept serving them. He kept helping them. And we started praying that miraculously, God would allow his family to accept this decision and still love him. Well, a few weeks later, he calls me and he goes, Brandon, this is crazy. I don't understand. For some reason, it's like my family completely forgot. They've accepted me. They're loving me. They're treating me great. Two of my sisters have had dreams of Jesus now. This guy's passionate about sharing Jesus now. He's now leading others in discovery Bible studies. You see, a life-changing love like that is contagious. It gives you a desire to love others more and more and experience the work of the Spirit doing miraculous things. And what we've learned is it's nothing special. You don't have to be prepared for this, trained for this, equipped for this. You just go. You just love and leave the results up to God. So Ellie wants to share one thing with you before, before we go here. Luke 10, 27. You shall love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. We just want to say thank you guys again for all of your support and your prayers. And if you want to bow your head, I'll just pray for us as we go on to the next thing. God, we just humbly come before you and are just so thankful that we are your children. And we're so incredibly grateful just the way that you spoke through your word to our friend back in Mali, that you made his family forget that he's a believer and that he is passionate about you now. And God, as Doug um, speaks tonight, we just pray that you would speak through the scripture to each one of us personally and just show us how can we obey your scripture tonight. God, show us our blind spots. Show us how to be better for each other and for this dark world that we're living in. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Welcome to Mosaic this evening. Let's stand together. So 
Jesus, we proclaim that truth here tonight. Each of us in our own hearts declaring that we remember what you've done. Lord, we trust you for the future because we've seen you in the past. Thank you for being so true and so faithful to your children.
Thank you for your steadfast love toward us. Slow us down. Give us fresh perspective tonight. And open our eyes to hear what you have to say. We love you. We praise your name. Amen. Good evening again. I do want to say just uh, briefly that I wasn't scheduled to teach tonight. Colin Jackson was up, and he decided that uh, he and a bicycle needed to have an interesting experience, and uh, he is no longer able to uh, stand and talk for just a little while. So um, I have the privilege of uh, filling in for him, and so I just invite you to join me with a question. What would you like to be remembered for? What would you like to be known for if, by others? Would you think about that a minute? Maybe to be really good at what you do. Maybe to be really smart. A really good husband or wife or parent or, you know, what would you like to be known for? As I have reached that stage of life where I've got more in the rearview mirror than I do in the windshield, you know what I'm talking about? Um, I've often thought about, you know, how am I going to be remembered when I'm gone? What would I want to be remembered for? Well, Jesus gives us something to aspire to. As he's talking to his disciples in the book of John, he says this, they will know that you're my disciples when they see your love for one another. The followers of Jesus are known for their love for one another. What are the followers of Jesus known for today? I'm hesitant to make a list of all the things that we're known for today. But if I made one, I'm not sure loving one another would be very high or very close to the top of the list. What do you think? You see, we've been walking through the book of Thessalonians, and, and we've been doing this because what we want to see is we want to see how the gospel changes lives and cities and even whole cultures. And when Paul is writing to the, uh, to the church at Thessalonica, uh, he says, your life has been changed. And one of the ways that the gospel impacted these people was in the love they had for one another. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. So uh, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands as we instructed you 
so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Just a quick reminder where we are in this letter in uh, chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul begins a new section where he talks about how to walk in a way that pleases God. How to walk and please God. In other words, he gives us some specific instructions about living out our faith. How our faith could be lived out in a way that it honors and pleases the Lord. And he gives two examples. The first one was sexual purity, which Matt talked about last week. And then this week we're talking about brotherly love. Paul is saying that when these people heard and received and believed the gospel of Jesus, they were changed. They were made different. And one of the most obvious ways that they were changed was in the way that they loved each other. He calls attention to that. So as we look at what it means to love one another, the first thing we see about this encouragement to love one another is that in this passage, he's not talking about loving others in general. So let me just kind of pause there and and let you think about that. It is important that we as Christians be loving people just in general. We're told to love our neighbors. We're told to love others. But here he's specifically drawing it down and talking about loving other believers. So in a very real way tonight, this message is a family message. It's for those of us who are followers of Jesus about loving one another. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, um, one of the things that has stood out to me as I've studied it as we've been going through it, is Paul uses a lot of familial language. He uses a lot of family terms. And this shows up in this passage where he talks about uh, how you need to have brotherly love and to love one another and that you are doing this to all the brothers in Macedonia. He's talking, he's using family language to talk about loving one another. So when he writes about their love, he's specifically referring to the way that these believers treated one another in the body as fellow believers, as fellow followers of Jesus. So here's the question. Why were they so committed to loving one another? What was it that stirred them to this? Why was this so important to them to love each other so much and so well? Well, for many in in this day, To become a follower of Jesus was to lose many of the the family and even the social relationships that they had. As Brandon was sharing about where he lives and works and how that coming to Christ in that culture often costs them a family and maybe even costs them the relationships in society that could give them jobs and things like that. That was true in Thessalonica. And so they could become outcasts. And the, only other, the other believers were the only family that they had. So here's a truth that we need to think about. When we, um, are, when we become followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us that we have been born again into a new family. We've been born again into a new family. Now, some of you know firsthand that nothing can hurt you more than family when we do family wrong. You know that firsthand. You come from families that have wounded you, that have hurt you, and maybe even continue to do so. Some of us know that even in the body of Christ, no one can hurt you more 
than family when we do family wrong. But the flip side of that is when we do it right, no one can love you more or love you better than family. No matter what your experience of family has been, your experience in the family of followers of Jesus should be one of love, of being loved and loving, of belonging and connecting, of truly mattering to one another and having value and a place where no matter how everybody else treats you, these people, they welcome you and they love you. That should be our experience of being in the family of God. Love. Genuine, pure, unconditional love. In the culture of the Thessalonians, uh, there would have been wealthy citizens and farmers and tradesmen and women. Uh, There would have been resident aliens or, or immigrants. There would have been household servants and even just common slaves. That's what was in this culture and in this society. And they would have interacted with one another, but they would have known their place and they would have stayed in their place. And there wouldn't have been a lot of cross um, relationships between these levels. And then comes the church. And what we know from Scripture and from church history is that people from every one of those levels, every one of those groups, became followers of Jesus. And so when the church gathered, and maybe they were sitting in someone's living room, or maybe it got a little too large for that, and they were sitting out in a courtyard, there were people sitting around together from every one of those groups. They were not like each other, but yet they loved each other. What is it that brought that unity Well, Paul tells us in a couple of his other letters, the book of uh, Ephesians and the letters to the Colossians as well, he says that the thing that brings unity in the midst of all the diversity is the common salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. One of my favorite sayings uh, comes from back right around Civil War times. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Listen, if you got into the family, you got in the same way everybody else did. As a broken, sinful human being, desperately in need of a Savior, crying out to the mercy of God and receiving the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus saves sinners. That's how you got in. That's how we all get in, the common salvation And that's the thing that brings the unity. You see, the gospel is enough to bring together people who are incredibly different and incredibly diverse in background and experiences and interests. A guy named J.A. Zeisler says this, what characterizes love among the family of Christ is that it does not exclude anybody. What sets Christian love apart is that it is a love for people you might otherwise overlook or despise or have nothing to do with. Love for people outside your background who do not share the same interests, who do not attend the same parties, who have nothing in common with you except Jesus. 
all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, Paul reminds us that that includes everyone. This love for one another is not conditioned on how the other person feels about the designated hitter in baseball or who the greatest quarterback of all time is or whether you put your jelly on top of the peanut butter or you put it on the other piece of bread or even if your toilet paper comes off the top or the bottom. Perhaps a more relevant example. Our love doesn't depend on the other person looking like us, voting the same way we do, or feeling the same way we do about social issues. And when we let these differences, no matter how important they may be to us, when we let these differences become reasons for treating other believers in a way that is not loving, we are actually saying that the gospel is not strong enough and not big enough and not good enough to make a family that loves each other. Here's the truth. If you and I both genuinely have God as our Father, then like it or not, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And Dad says we have to love each other. Which brings us to the second thing that, that we see in this passage. Loving one another is a natural response as we follow Jesus. Paul says, I don't need to remind you to love each other because you're doing it so well. And God himself has taught you to do so. Paul did not spend very long with these, uh, with these believers at Thessalonica before he had to leave. And when he sent Timothy back to see how they were doing, Timothy finds a group of people who are doing an incredible job of loving each other. Where did they learn that? Where did that come from? That was the work of the Holy Spirit in them. When we walk closely with Jesus, we'll learn to love the things he loves and to love the way he loves. And there's nothing Jesus loves more than his followers. Jesus says that we uh, will be known as his disciples by our love for one another. In the book of 1 John, we're told we'll know that we are his disciples because of our love for the brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we love them, we'll know that we are his disciples. So the more we hang out with Jesus, the natural response to the gospel working in our hearts is that we will grow in love for one another. In fact, we're told at least 14 times in the New Testament to love one another. And I put all these on a, on a slide so you can take a picture of it or pull this slide up later because I want you this week to read through these verses and think about and ask the Lord to show you what does this mean for my life to love one another? And then Paul shifts from talking about how their, their great love for each other, uh, talking about their great love for each other, to three practical ways or behaviors where this love can overflow. Living quietly, minding your own affairs, and working with your own hands. 
And when we look at these, it's almost as if the main point is to live quietly, and then the other two are ways that we can do that. So what does it mean to live quietly? Well, sometimes a good way to understand something is to to look at its opposite. So what's the opposite of living quietly? It is to create strife, chaos, or conflict. The word for living quietly carries the idea of a non-anxious, peaceful, calm presence. So here's a good test for us. Does our presence bring peace and calm or conflict, chaos, and strife? When we live in a way that truly loves others, we will become a non-anxious presence. We'll bring peace, not strife. But some of you will say, Well, Jesus tells us that when we stand for the truth, it will bring conflict, and that is true. Let me share a story um, from the first church that I worked at. One of the members came in on Sunday morning with a great big swollen black eye. And I asked him, what in the world happened to you? And he said, I have been persecuted for my faith at work. See, I'd never known a martyr before, and I was excited. I get to hear a martyr's story. I said, well, tell me about that. Well, according to his story, as he told it, there was a guy that he worked with who had something going on in his life that was clearly a sin according to to the Bible. And my friend felt uh, the need to tell this man that what he was doing and his lifestyle was sinful and that if he did not repent, he was going to go to hell. And he continued to tell that man this over and over and over during the day until finally towards the end of the day, the man looked at him and said, hey, you've made your point. And if you don't shut up, I'm going to shut you up. And my friend felt obliged to say it one more time. And the guy punched him in the eye. And as he told me this story, my friend was smiling and proud that he was counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Now, To give you a little context, this was back when I was about 23 years old. And when I was 23, I knew everything. I had all knowledge, I had all wisdom, and I had no filter right here. Okay? It just came out. And so my response to him was something very much like, you didn't get hit for being a follower of Jesus, you got hit for being a jerk. To put it a bit more eloquently, though, The gospel will offend, but the ones carrying the gospel have no place being offensive. If we are the source of the strife, the conflict, or chaos in the lives of others, then we're not living a quiet life. We're not living a non, we are not living as a non-anxious presence. So then he gives us two ways we can practically live out this non-anxious presence. First, He says, mind your own affairs. And that means exactly what you think it means. Stay out of other people's business. That is so hard, isn't it? Particularly when they make it a point of making their business so public. The idea, though, is not that you aren't involved in their lives. He's not saying don't try to speak into the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not saying uh, don't be involved in what's going on. Here's what he is saying. 
You don't seek to control the outcomes or force the decisions that they make. You don't try to make them become what you think they should be. And then the second practical way of doing this, he says, is instead of minding other people's business, keep yourself busy taking care of your own business. Do what you're responsible for. Cover your own responsibilities. That's what he means by working with your hands. And then finally, Paul says that when we love one another, it results in an effective witness to the world. So that others will see the way that we live. And they'll notice that followers of Jesus are loving each other so well in spite of all the differences. And that will be something unnatural to them. And then they'll ask why. And it'll give us a chance to share with them what Jesus has done for us and how that has changed our hearts, our lives, and our sense of family. I want to close tonight by doing something Paul does in this text. He commends the church for, the way they, for how well they love one another. And I want to take some time to acknowledge, after I've kind of chastised this a little bit for not loving well, to acknowledge some, some ways that we have loved some people in the body very well. So, Melissa, would you come up? Stephen and Melissa King and their kids, Asher and Hope, live and work um, in, on an island in Southeast Asia, literally halfway around the world. Literally halfway around the world. Last Easter, they got word that Melissa's mom had cancer. She only had a short time to live, so they jumped on a plane in the middle of a pandemic and headed home to try to spend some time with her before she was gone. And from the moment they made that decision to come home, some folks in Mosaic began, began working to love these guys well in a lot of ways. And so I've asked Melissa to come and share some of those ways with us. So, Melissa, thanks for being here. Thank you. Um, okay, so you get on a plane and you head back here, you haven't had time to make any plans, to make any arrangements. What are some of the things that, that folks in Mosaic did that loved you guys well just getting here? Well, we got the call on Easter night. So it was, it was very unexpected. And the first thing I did was, I think I texted Doug. I think that's the very first thing I did. I was like, I don't know what to do. We are... On the other side of the world, there's a pandemic going on, and there's lots and lots of unknowns. And so, uh, first was, can we get back? You know, and so immediately I reached out to everybody. It's like, pray now so that we can make it home. And then, with airfare, a place to live, a car, food, prayers, all of these things. It's like, I don't know how, how we're going to make it. And, and I think Doug's text was, we got it covered. And they did. They supplied everything and more than we could imagine. I remember uh, we finally, we did get tickets like in two days. And it was like the last flight out of the country. And so... Every airport we went through, we were the only plane taking off and the only one landing. When we got to the U.S., we were the only people on the planes. And so it was very surreal. But 
I, I really think it was a miracle that we made it even to the U.S. to be here. And then when we got there, Doug was waiting with a car that someone supplied for us to use. We got to a house that someone supplied for us to stay in with a stack of prayer cards on the counter and a stock pantry. Yeah, I remember, I don't think I've ever felt so loved by the body of God than that. So you guys got here. These guys did a great job taking care of you. Now you're walking through this, um, the end of life with your mom. God graced and, g and gave you far more days than what, what we had expected, and that was just a blessing. But you walked through that, that phase and, and uh, the loss of your mom and, and kind of the recovery since then and working through that. What are some ways that, that, our, that the body has loved you during that time? I think letting me be and being there for me when I needed it. You know, it's a hard thing, a very, very hard thing. But Doug even said, and that's why I'm totally fine being teary-eyed up here, that it's okay to cry. <laughs> and I'm grateful that you said that. But just how people came around and checked on me, how people were there to pray with me, how people send thank you cards and prayer cards constantly. That was such a blessing. Mm. Now, Stephen's already back. Stephen is back. And you guys are kind of waiting on some visa things, and mm -hmm. uh, hopefully you'll get on a plane and get back to the other side of the world. Yes. How can we love you well when you get over there? Uh... Yeah, there are lots, lots of things going on over there. So I'm sure like most of people here, 2020 was supposed to be an amazing year and lots of wonderful things are supposed to happen. And so we were and currently are in the middle of starting a training hub to train local believers where we are, how to disciple locals. And so that, that's a huge thing on my heart right now. And that takes a lot of things, like people to help come and teach. That takes funds. That takes prayer. It takes a lot of things. And I am more than positive God is going to provide all those things. But uh, that's one thing. And then um, with, with business, we, had, we started a business over there to help the locals, and COVID has not been nice to it. <laughs> and so that's one thing we are working on. And then uh, also our, our monthly support was really hurt by COVID. But those are all, like, things, you know? And what I love about this this topic about sharing Jesus's love is the purpose. And so all those little things, you know, lead to the purpose of us loving people well. And um, when I think of that, I think of my daughter. So I don't know how many times I have heard people say, I have never felt so loved than by your daughter. And it I don't know. 
it strikes me as strange, you know, because she's just a little girl. And it makes me think too, well, it took a lot of people to get that little girl in that place where she can make someone feel loved like they've never felt loved. That takes all of you in prayer and uh, just a devotion to the Lord, abiding in the Lord. Um, but all of us being focused on, you know, God's love and how we show his love and shine his love. Mm. So Mosaic, if I may borrow the words of the Apostle Paul, you have no need for anyone to tell you to love one another because you've already done it so well. I just encourage us, let's grow, let's increase, and let's deepen our love for one another because followers of Jesus are known for their love for one another. Would you stand with me? As we close, I want you to, to read a, a, with me out loud a prayer from St. Francis of Assisi. Um, and so read this with me, and this will be our benediction. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. God bless you, Mosaic.